Good afternoon. This is now the 13th, part 13 of our introduction to Lutheranism. In this video, we are going to be talking about the Holy Baptism. So we've gone through the first three chief parts of the Catechism, the Ten Commandments, um, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. So the Ten Commandments is all about um, God's law, it's his demand for our life, demand for how he expects you to be, and really it's ultimately condemning you. The law always condemns. It's it's showing how we've fallen short of his glory. So that's so there's begin so it's the law. Um the the Apostles' Creed is pretty much it's for the most part, it's gospel. It's um, God's work is how God has provided for us physically. It's how He has provided for us in Jesus Christ, and He's given us given us faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that is, you know, it's all gospel. And then the Lord's Prayer, as I mentioned in the previous video, is very much reflection of the Lord's of the Ten Commandments, and therefore it is a prayer. It is sanctification. It's living out as a Christian. We're going to deal with that more when we get to the table of duties. But today, when we're talking about baptism, we're talking about the sacraments. So a sacrament, the definition of a sacrament, so a sacrament is um, the means. Okay, so there's sacraments are part or amongst God's means of grace. So when we talked about the third article, the creed, it was I told I had mentioned that God saves us through his gifts, all right? Now words, the Holy Spirit is the one who creates faith. No one can come can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That is what the apostle Paul says in his letter to the first church in Corinth. So if you, so no one can come so how does one receive the holy spirit that's the question that is what the means of grace are they are the means literally the means by which you receive the grace of god now the first the primary means of grace is the proclamation of god's <clears throat> excuse me the proclamation of the word so preaching so the hearing of god's word hearing of the hearing the bible preached to you, read to you, spoken to you. The truth of God's word being spoken to you, that is the that is the first means of grace. The second means of grace, the other means of the other two means of grace are the sacraments. And so what constitutes a sacrament? It is commanded by God. That's number one. Number two, it has a physical element. And number three is that it uh, provide gives the forgiveness of sins? Those are the three definite three parts to a sacrament. Now understand that that's how we as Lutherans have defined defined sacraments. Um, there are other church bodies that have different definitions, and so therefore their numbering of sacraments are different. Specifically in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they have they have more sacraments, and a lot of that has to do with changing in the definition of sacrament. In the Lutheran Church, there are, I would say there's, I usually say there's two and a half sacraments. And I say two and a half because, um, so baptism without a doubt is a sacrament. The Lord's Supper is without a doubt a sacrament. The one that is always held in debate is the is confession and absolution. There is a debate whether or not confession and absolution is a sacrament. And so some would say, well, actually, it's an extension of baptism. Or they could say it's about the, um, it's tied to the proclamation of the word. So it's definitely, it you could definitely say it's a means of grace. Uh, but as far as it being a sacrament, is up for debate. And what makes it more of up to debate is Martin Luther. At different points in his life, sometimes he'd say that confession is a sacrament. Sometimes he said it wasn't. So that kind of exacerbates the debate. So the numbering of the sacraments is not that is not important. What is important is that we take part in these things. And we'll talk about each of these sacraments throughout the next three video next few videos. So the first sacrament to talk about, like I said, is holy baptism.
And to start, I'm going to read what Luther wrote on baptism in his small catechism. So it says, so the, it says, what is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. Which is that word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Second, okay, so what benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death of the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. How could water do such good thing, great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water. Rich in grace. Oops, I skipped a page here. Yeah, okay, so rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, Titus 3, 5 through 8. What does bat such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should be by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 6 verse 4. So there's what Luther wrote on it. So baptism, there's a lot of, there's quite a bit of scripture that talks about baptism. And it is a source of great dispute between church bodies. And here's, here's the thing. is It all boils back down to that question. A question that came up when I talked about the third article of the Creed. Why are some people saved and not others? Now, if you believe that you are saved by a decision that you made, that you have to accept Jesus into your heart, um, that and you make a big point about it, that, you know, I decided to follow Jesus... Uh, when I was 13 years old or whatever. Then, yeah, bapt infant baptism, it seems silly. Because you're the one that does the salvation. You're the one that makes the first step towards God. You have to make a step towards God. And therefore, since you take some credit, it makes sense that you know, you're the one doing it. If you believe that God chooses people for condemnation, then baptism has no power. You're saved or you're not saved. Does You're saved, you're not saved. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you receive baptism or not. So those ans the answer to that question makes a big difference. We as Lutherans believe, teach, and confess that we are all born dead in our trespasses, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you're born dead, spiritually born dead, that means it doesn't matter whether you are one an infant or 99 years old, you are in the same condition, the same state before God. 
You stand as a poor, miserable sinner that you sinned against God and thought, word, and deed. That's how you stand before God. And so that is where, so if you stand in that understanding, you realize that baptism is efficacious and beneficial to anyone. So we're going to go through some of these passages that talk about baptism. So the first one I'm going to jump go to, uh, you heard it a little bit ago, it's Matthew 28, 19 to 20. So this is after Jesus has, has risen from the dead. And these are the very last words in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there you have Jesus giving a command to make disciples. The word disciple is a word that literally it does mean follower, but a lot of times when people say follower, they usually mean, well, that means you follow their example, etc. You got to be, and there's, there's some truth to that, but follower in ancient culture, in ancient Greek, disciple was actually more literally better translated as, as student. So, I mean, yes, you were a follower, but the reason was was because in the first century, um, you didn't go to a traditional classroom like we do nowadays. So, you know, I go up, you go up the hill here, uh, go to OEBCIG High School or down the hill to the elementary. Um, kids will be sitting in desks and they're going to be listening to the teacher teach. That's not how they did it back in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, the teacher would walk around town. And the, would walk wherever. And his students would follow him where he went. And while he was walking, he would pontificate. He would teach. He would talk. He'd say, look at the trees. Look how beautiful they are. Isn't this like that? You know, that would... And so the idea is you'd follow them wherever they went with the, the intent of hearing everything they said and taught. So that's what it meant to be a disciple, is you were literally... To be a follower meant you literally followed them with the purpose of learning. So a disciple, so Jesus here is telling you how he's telling his apostles, his disciples, how to go make more disciples. And he's telling them the way to do that is you got to go, you have to do two things. And it, and it is, you have to baptize and you have to teach. Now here's the thing. Which comes first? Do you have to baptize first or do you have to teach first? Well, here's a question. What two plus three is it what what's two plus three? It's five, right? If you take two and three, it's five. Now, what if I take three and I add two? What is three and two? It's five still, right? So the word and, the word that comes first, does not necessarily mean it has to be first. That's not how the Greek language works. Um, it might actually be what, and so it can mean what it, it, sometimes it might mean it's more prominent, that baptism is prominent, but that may not, that's probably not necessarily the case here. What it is, is just saying that you're supposed to do both of these things. It doesn't tell you the order. The one thing it does tell us, though, is that you are to baptize all nations, or better translated, all cultures, all races, all peoples. And that would include people of all age. It does not make a distinction of age. All right? And you wouldn't expect to, because if you understand that baptism is for people, uh, for anybody, um, when you, if you understand that we are born dead in our trespasses, again, it doesn't matter your age, baptism will be beneficial. Well, of course, the question is how is baptism beneficial? We're going to get there. I'm going to go to Mark 16. I'm kind of going in order here. And maybe I should go in order. Maybe I should go jump around. But we are operating under the understanding that baptism forgives sins. And we'll get to passages where it more explicitly says this. 
But here, this is Mark 16, 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. It says, actually go verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, this is not an order. Do you have to believe first and then be baptized or baptize and then believe? It's not an order either. It's not an order. It's a both. You have to believe and baptize. You have to be baptized and believe, whatever. Um, but it's, by the way, it's something I got to note right here. Uh, it notices whoever believes and is baptized. I just say has been baptized, is baptized. All right. I'm going to come up with just keep that into the back of your mind. It says is, which is a present tense verb, not past. It's actually uh, so. Here I'm going to actually look at the Greek here. So yeah, so it talks about is baptized. So and so and if, as a note, the Greek word baptized, baptizo, means um, it it means it means to wash. And one of the big arguments. So how do you how how does someone have to be baptized? Do you have to sprinkle? So does well, actually the the Common argument, there's an argument from certain church traditions that you must do immersion. Otherwise, it's not a real baptism. The problem is there's no command, such command in all of Scripture. The argument usually comes from the baptism of Jesus. Now, now let me read about the baptism of Jesus. So I'm going to go backwards to Mark chapter 1. It says... In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. So he came up out of the water. So because it says he came up out of the water, people think that that means he was immersed. doesn't have to. It just means that some portion of his body was in the water. And he came up out of it. Does not mean he was fully immersed. Um, he could have been, but it doesn't say that. So and the word Greek word baptizo, they ought to say, well, that means it has to immerse. Not no, and again, no, it doesn't. Um, it's in the Gospel of Mark, and I'd have to quick, I'd have to probably search the verse. Um, but it talks about the washing of couches and things like that, ceremonial washing. And the Greek word there used there is baptizo. You're not, and so in that context, it doesn't make sense to be talking about immersion. So here I'm going to actually see if I can't go search this passage here. Um, Sorry to take this time. I'm just searching so I can make sure I get the right uh, verse here. So I th think it's Mark's chapter. So Mark chapter 7, I believe. This is the verse. Okay, so yeah, it's in... So it is in Mark chapter 7, verse 4. It says, And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now that's the one that's <clears throat> um, the thing that's kind of interesting is, so most of those other words, okay, you could immerse a cup or whatever, but a couch? I mean, unless we're talking about the Incredible Hulk, people are like, mm, be hawks. We immerse couch. Okay, unless you're really big and strong, you're probably not immersing it. You're probably pouring water over the couch to wash it. So 
baptizo does not have to mean immerse. It just means a process of washing. All right. So when it says, so it doesn't have to be immersed. So it could be sprinkling. It could be pouring. It can be immersion. And there is some there is something nice about immersion because of the symbolism of it, because it's very much in line uh, with what is described in the book of Romans, in Romans 6, which we'll get to a little bit later. So it's very appropriate, but it's not a have to. The scripture gives no command on how to baptize. It simply gives a command to use words, use the word in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And kind of going backwards to that, actually. So in the name of the Father, the language there. So you bat it says, go make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, in baptism, the, that language, it's actually, it's like an imprinting. So there was a time in history when people would brand their animals. So, and I'm guessing some people probably still do that. Nowadays, a lot of people, they'll do a tag or whatever. But there was a time where it was very common to brand, anim brand animals. You know, they put like the circle, for me it would be like the circle W. So this animal belongs to Weemus. So would you, when it's to say that you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen, the Holy Spirit means that in baptism, you, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, so you, the, the Trinitarian name, Father, first person of the Trinity, Son, second person, Holy Spirit, third person. So when you're baptized in that name, it is being placed upon you. So when the when you're when you brand a cat or <laughs> not a cat, <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, tuning Jeff Fox. Tuning in Jeff Foxworthy there because he used to joke about he joked once about uh, <laughs> branding his pets. Uh, hopefully nobody brand I don't know if anybody branding pets, but if you brand a cow or a you know brand a cow or whatever, and you put your initials on there, it would mean it would let you know that this belongs. This is your cow. This is your cattle. Similarly. When you have the name of, when you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is a confession, it is saying that in baptism, you are made His. You now belong to God the Father and not to the devil. Because prior to your, when you are in rebelling to God, the devil is the one that has ownership of you. You are well, actually sin, death, and the devil has ownership of you. When you are baptized, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God, has you. And that means you are his child. You are his. So, all right. So, continuing on. So, another going to another verse on baptism. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. So this is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So I had mentioned previously that, you know, Going back to the third article of the creed, that it is by the Holy, if, if, apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot say Jesus is Lord. It's only by the Holy Spirit you can say it. And so it's by the Holy Spirit that you have faith, you have salvation. So how does one receive the Holy Spirit? Right here in this lesson, this passage, it is telling you that in the waters of baptism, you do receive, receive the Holy Spirit. Because he says, Receive in the be baptized every one of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
sorry, be baptized in every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is probably just short for saying the triune God. Be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying you will end, so kind of say then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The way it's the way the verse is flowing, it's so and there is not saying, you know, and you will, it's letting you know as a consequence of this baptism, you will receive forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So some will do kind of a twist. They play the word game. And they say, well, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins. But the problem with that is the Greek word that's translated as for is ice. Ice could mean into, towards. Never does it mean because or for the purpose of in reaction to or whatever. So people say, well, be baptized because your sins are forgiven. So in other words, for this is why baptism um, is referred to as an ordinance by many church traditions. They don't call it a sacrament. They call it an ordinance. And the reason is, is because baptism for them is an act of obedience. You're, you're being baptized because of the forgiveness of sins, not that baptism gives the forgiveness of sins. So, but it says, but it's the words here is in the name of Jesus Christ into the forgiveness of sins. It's more literal. So, in other words, tour. So it's a it's a toke, it's a it is your payment, it's the installment or whatever you want to say to the forgiveness of sins. You are get, you are being forgiven, and yes, you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is why it's a means of grace, because you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive the Holy Spirit. It is the means of grace. And note, it is for your children, and for you and your children. And it makes no distinction of age. Um, yep, the Greek word here is technon. So, yeah, it could be child. So children does not make distinction of age. And children in that time would be anyone pretty much under the age of 12. Um, you'll hear some churches will talk about an age of reason, that kids, children are not held accountable for their sins until they're eight years old. There is no, no biblical verse that says that. You are reliant, you're, you're, use, you're making up a doctrine to appease the rejection of infant baptism. Baptism is, there's nothing that says that people are not held accountable. It tells us in scripture that we are dead in our trespasses. It tells us that in, in sin that our mother conceive us. So in other words, already in, our, in the womb, we are sinners. We are wretched and we need God's grace. Which, you know, so how... Now, here's the thing that people might be sitting there saying, well, so can a person be saved apart from baptism? And the answer is yes. So a person is not baptized, they die. So let's say, for example, someone is, let's say someone is, you know, they're an adult. They come to faith when they're 25 years old or whatever, and they're on the way to church to be baptized. And... They get in a car accident. They die. Does it mean they go to hell? Because they didn't get baptized yet? And I'd say no. Um, because we have the primary example here would be this, um, the thief on the cross. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, there is a thief. There is a situation. So I suppose I should read this since this is, um, I can't assume you know the scripture. So I'm going to read this. This is Luke. Chapter 23, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the thief, as far as we know, was never baptized. Not by, not did not receive Jesus' baptism. And this is a, a point of importance because elsewhere in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, um, there are those who said there are those who turns out they weren't really saved because they had just been baptized by John. Well, here's the problem: is John's baptism is not the same as Jesus's baptism. This gets highlighted when Jesus, before Jesus appears, John says, "I baptize you with water, but one comes after me who will baptize you with fire." And the Holy Spirit. So in other words, John is letting you know that Jesus' baptism is different. Ba John's baptism was a baptism of obedience. It was a baptism of repentance. It was, it was simply an act showing that you repent of your sin. But Jesus' baptism, the one that we receive, is the one by which we receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, but the question comes is, so what about this, this man on the cross? As far as we know, he did not receive Jesus' baptism. And even if he did receive John's baptism, it was not the same. It, did not, it was not a means of grace. So how was he saved? Well, he was saved by the, one of the other means of grace. As I mentioned, there are three means of grace. There's baptism. But there's also the proclamation of the word. And the proclamation of the word was he had Jesus hanging on the cross right in front of him. The gospel was being screamed at him by watching his Savior die for him. He deserved to die because he was a thief. He was a criminal. He said it himself. But the man that he was talking to, Jesus, was the one and only innocent man in the entire history of the world. He didn't sin one little itsy bit. And yet there he was hanging on the cross for the forgiveness of this man and all men, all people, you, me. And so as he watched this play out, he confessed. He confessed Jesus as Lord. And so with the gospel being proclaimed to him in visually and by word, he, he was saved. So proclamation of the word is one of the means of grace. Um, so somebody does not have to be baptized to be saved. Now understand this is this is very this there's kind of a bit of distinction here. So a person can be saved without having been baptized. So this even deals with the issue of what about a child that dies in the womb, especially. Um, I would say that this is probably a good argument if you're pre if you're ever pregnant, um, women. Come to church. Come receive the Lord's Supper. Um, that little bit of wine will not be harmful to the child. But if you if you are worried, most churches, ours included, we have non-alcoholic option. But hear the word. That child hears it. Remember John. So, for example, John the Baptist, when he was in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother, he jumped at the presence of Mary, who is also pregnant with Jesus. So children have can have faith even in the womb, and they can hear what's going on. We hear there's so much studies about how they hear music. They the reason they know their mother's voice so well is because they heard it while they're in the womb. Children can hear. So come to, you come to church and your child will hear the word. And so they receive the means of grace and that means. So yes, salvation is possible even for a child for a child that has died um, like through a miscarriage or something like that. Um, so salvation is possible for someone who has not been baptized. But here's the kicker. You can't refuse to be baptized. If you refuse to be baptized, that is condemning. 
And the reason is, is because that is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In holy baptism, you will receive the Holy Spirit. So if you know of baptism and you say, I refuse to be baptized, it's none of my, I don't have to do it. All that matters is I know what God's word says. It doesn't matter if I'm baptized or not. No, God's word specifically says, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to be baptized. Um, so refusal to be baptized is a rejection of Christ's command. It's rejection of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is a condemning, it's, it condemns you. So is it possibly saved apart from baptism? Yes. But it, it will condemn you. It is condemning if you refuse to be baptized. And this even comes, so this, um, so somebody might say, well, what about a bap So what about those church traditions that do not baptize infants? So are those kids not baptized because they refuse to be baptized? Well, they're not being, well, the thing is, they're not refusing to be baptized. They just believe that they're supposed to be baptized later. So, them choosing to baptize later is not a refusal of baptism. It's not a rejection of God's command, not entirely. It's not, and it's not a rejection of the Holy Spirit. Um, but that does not mean that it's good practice not baptize infants. Um, baptizing infants is such a comfort because when a child dies outside of baptism. You hope there's you don't have something you could point to and say that child was saved because we're not we don't hate you can say well there's this age of reason thing that or age of accountability thing because the Bible says nothing about it you can't point to a Bible verse and say hey see this Bible verse right here says that if you die before the age of eight years old you're guaranteed into heaven. There is no passage you could find that. You could go find a bunch of books that talk about it, sure, but you will not find a Bible passage. And so there's no comfort in that. We are told that salvation comes by grace through comes through grace by grace through faith. But we know that while it is possible for a child to believe, it's also a child, it's possible for a child as much as an adult to not believe. Which, yes, that means. A child under the age of eight can be condemned, even an infant, even a baby in the womb. When a child is born, this is why it's very important to be baptized, to have that child baptized. It's to give you comfort and assurance. So that when the if that child were to die when they're two, three years old, the pastor may stand up there before you all and say, listen. This child was baptized into Christ. And you could take comfort in it. If they die without it, the pastor could talk about the age of reason, that the but he'll have no verse to go off of. We have passages that say baptism saves. Very directly, and I'll come to that in a little bit. But you don't have anything about eight days and age of an accountability. So this is why it's important. If you have children, baptize them. Honestly, don't wait so long. Um, a lot of people wait until, you know, over a month or two later. And yes, the child can, and maybe there's some people, there is some reason to not do it immediately. Some won't baptize right out of the womb. And there's some good reason to this um, because there is something that you could trust God's grace. Um and there's some that would argue that the faith of the mother can save a young, really young child, um, especially if she's gone to, she's been in worship, she's been hearing the word, receiving bat, receiving the Lord's supper. The faith of the mother can save that child. Um, so just as the child inherits the mother's sin, so also here she inherits. Um, the child inherits her the grace that she has received. So, all right. So those are some, so some more passage here on baptism. Um, I'm going to jump to Romans chapter six. 
verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Notice here. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, he, doesn't say, he said, does not say, Do you know, not know that some of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He doesn't say some. He says all. All. Which only makes sense if baptism is doing something. Baptism is the one that's doing, is baptizing you into the death of Jesus. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in baptism, you are crucified with Christ. Your sinful nature, you are put to death. You are buried. And this is where immersion is kind of a nice tradition. There's, it's not commanded, but it's actually nice to do it because it, Vis you are visually seeing what is ha actually happening in baptism, and pouring of the water can work too because it could be you could think of that as the pouring of the dirt. Um, but either way, but then again, that doesn't work perfectly because in ancient times burial wasn't they didn't bury people in the ground they usually put them in tombs and stuff like that. But either way, uh, but you do have that kind of symbolism of burial either way that works well in our culture, but. In baptism, you are buried. You are crucified with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You, if you were baptized in 20, 2010, when you were baptized, you are connected to the events of April 3rd to 33 AD when Jesus was hanging on the cross, shedding his blood and dying in agony for you. You are united to Jesus Christ when he was laid in the tomb on that April 3rd of 33 AD. And also you are united to him when he rose victoriously from the tomb, risen from the dead. For you too arise a new creation in the waters of baptism. You, have, you receive a new identity. You, re you have been marked with the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been buried in Christ and you have a new identity. Receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving the name of God, the seal of the Holy Spirit to talk about in Ephesians. Um, the forgiveness of sins. So, and does this mean, do we, so since we're baptized, does it mean we get to live however we want? That now that we're baptized, we don't have to hear God's word. Um, we don't need to come to church. We don't need to um, love our neighbor, things like that. No, as Paul says, what are we to, shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, by no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it? So no, it's not an excuse to sin. Rather, it's an excuse to live apart from sin. Right? People do use their grace as an excuse to live lawlessly. They say, well, I'm, I'm going to be forgiven anyway, so I'll just do it. And I think more often than we'd like to admit, many of us have done that. But... It is not an excuse. Forgiveness, grace, mercy is an excuse to cease from sin. Because when you see the cross, you see this has been right over my shoulder. When you look at that, the agony that Jesus endured for you, for me, how can we go return to a life of sin when we see that that's the cost? And we... In our baptism, are put to the cross with him and buried with him. So baptism is an excuse to not sin. All right, so uh, jumping to 1 Peter chapter 4, or 3, just kidding. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. This is another... So some more words on baptism. So actually, I'm going to go backwards to verse 20. It says, They, the spirits in prison, 
etc., etc., those did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So notice right there, baptism now saves you. So just as the ark saved Noah and his, his family from the, the flood waters, and they're saved from God's wrath, so also in the waters of baptism, you are saved from God's wrath. You are saved from the wrath that is deserved upon you on account of your sin. So it is your sin that is drowned. Just as Pharaoh and his army was drowned out. Just as um, the, the sinful world was drowned out in the flood. And, and pe the people of Israel walked through dry land in the Red Sea. And, the and Noah and his family were saved in the ark. So also when you are baptized, you are grafted in, brought in to the holy Christian church. And so, and in this church, the ark of the church, and I'm not talking about the building, St. Paul Luther Church. I'm talking about the church throughout time and space. And we talked about in the third article of the creed, you are brought into that church in the waters of baptism, and you are rescued from condemnation. Now, is it, now here's the thing that comes sometimes. People say, well, baptism saves, and why are there people that are baptized who walked away from the Christian faith? That's a good question. And the simple thing is, it's, let's say you were, let's say you're, it's the flood. And think of that when you're, when the flood is happening, the ark is out there, and you're drowning in the water in this, in, due to your sin, the water of your sin. Somebody throws out a life preserver and you get pulled in and you're brought to salvation. There are some that'll say once saved, always saved. But let's say one, but that's not that's not biblical. The scriptures actually do talk about people who walk as enemies of the faith. Um, Paul, I think it's in Philippians, where he talks about with pain that there are those who walk in opposition to the church, even though they were at one time a part of it. So what happens? Well, some maybe somebody's so using the analogy of the ark or the ship. Somebody says, "You know what? I'm bored with this ship," and they jump out into the water and they drowned. Does that mean that the life preserver didn't work? Does that mean that they weren't saved? No, it means that they rejected it. It means that they had that salvation. They said, "You know, this isn't for me." Um, Toy Story has. If anybody's ever seen the movie Toy Story, it so beautifully shows this, um, especially in the second movie. In Toy Story, whenever a child, and this is a very wonderful illustration of baptism, so I encourage you, go watch the Toy Story movies. They're good movies, they're funny, they're humorous, and maybe you've seen them, so you may, may be able to remember this. But in the movie, if you remember, in this, if you're familiar with it, Whenever a toy is baptized, I mean, is whenever a toy is bought, Andy puts his name on it. So he writes Andy on Woody's boot. And actually, I'm going to come back to this. I want you to hold on to this. So think about Andy's name on the boot. That is pretty much what happens, by the way, in baptism. You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you, it's like when Andy puts the name on the toy, that is like you receiving the name of God on you means you belong to God. At the beginning of the second movie, there's this thing, there's this moment where Woody's going all around the, the room. It's like, I can't find my hat. I can't find it. And Bo Peep comes up to him and says, Woody, look on the bottom of your boot. It's not my, my hand's not on the bottom of my boot. She says, no, look on the bottom of it. He goes, it just says Andy. She says, yes, that's right. You are Andy's toy. Hat or no hat, you are Andy's toy. And by the way, this is one of the beautiful comfort. This is an incredible, beautiful comfort of baptism. This is why baptism is so awesome. 
glass. I have glasses. I if when I take this off, I can barely see. I have glasses. You know, I'm balding up here. You know, I definitely need to lose pounds. And and I say, and I have thoughts that I shouldn't have. I I want to I want to say words that I shouldn't say. I could be sometimes I'm I I struggle with sin. I'm a sinner. And when I look at the way I fail, the things I think, the things that I do or neglect to do, I sit there and wonder how can I, who am I? The water, baptism, and you maybe look at that, you may look, you know, maybe my hair isn't quite right. I don't look as pretty as other people or as handsome. I don't have, I don't have the job that other people do. I don't have the job, I don't have that gold job. You know, I don't have that marriage. For me, I would love, I would love to find someone. I'm single, 37 years old, and yes, that is a great struggle. And you look at your life, and it's just not the way you want it. And you look, and again, you look at your own sinfulness, and you sit, and it, it's a reminder. Even in that sin, even in your over the effects of sin, and that's what overweightedness, being overweight, is a consequence of sin. Having glasses, not being able to see, it's a consequence of sin. Overweight could be a consequence of sin of overeating, which is my case. It could be a consequence of sin because of disease and maybe an illness that's causing you to be overweight. So if you think I'm critical, being critical of people overweight, I'm not. I'm just speaking to the reality. Is that overweightedness, being overweight isn't a sin. It's a consequence of a sin. Having glasses isn't a sin. But it is a consequence of the sin-fallen world. It's because of sin that my eye, that we have problems with eyesight. If there was no sin in the world, I would never need glasses. If there's no sin in the world, I'd be in good shape. And so would be anyone. But the reality is that's not where we're at. We're in a sin-fallen world. And so matter, no matter how much you sin or no matter how sin is affecting you, you are God's child. That's what baptism tells you. You are baptized in the name of Jesus. I am baptized. I am baptized. This I'm actually this is actually worth this is kind of so as I'm recording this, it's January 3rd, so we're only two days into the new year. But I think this is a really good quote from CFW Walter. And I gotta go backwards to January 1st. This is really cool. This isn't um, in a devotional. This is from C.F.W. Walter. He's the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He says, this is what he says about baptism. I'm going to read this whole thing. I realize I'm at 53 minutes. This is one of the longer videos, but baptism is so important. It's such a precious gift of God, and there's so much misunderstanding and misbelief behind it. So it says, should the Christian stand all day long at the grave of all joys, which he enjoyed in past years? Through holy baptism, a great stream of joy has been conducted in his heart, which does not drain away, but streams forward with his life until its waves carry him into the sea of a blessed eternity. Should the Christian be reminded all day long that the flowers of his youth fall more and more? He stands planted by God in the water of his baptism as a palm tree, which becomes greener and greener and whose leaves never wither. Yes, his baptism makes death for him like a short winter's nap, out of which an eternal spring and eternal youth follows. So there you go. Because you're baptized, he'll rise from the dead. Death is but a sleep. And by the way, I, this is something cool. I just read this, found this out. Somebody tweeted, put this up on Facebook. I thought this was cool. The word cemetery is taken from a Greek word that means sleeping place. I think that's cool. When you go to a cemetery and understand that that is a sleeping place, you understand that those people who are in the grave, they're sleeping. Why? What does that mean? As Christians, we don't. We speak about sleep. Because one day they're going to wake up. 
and they're going to rise to a new life. And baptism was when you received the seal, the promise. But anyways, for baptism is a bath that washed me, not only once when I received it, not only once. Baptism. So I talked about I, he, whoever is baptized, be baptized. Baptism is quite often talks about is talked about in an in a present tense, active tense. And the reason is is because for one, baptism is always done to you. This takes away the idea that's a work. So people say, well, you can't be saved by work. So baptism is work. No, baptism is not a work. If you read in the scripture, it always says is baptized, was baptized, be baptized. Baptism is always done to you. He doesn't say whoever baptizes himself. It says whoever is baptized. And the hands that does the baptizing is the pastor, but ultimately it's God, the Father, it's the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are washing you, who are doing the baptism through the work of the of the pastor or the individual. And sometimes it's not the pastor. The pastor doesn't have to do it. The pastor is just the one that does it under normal circumstances. If there's a life and death situation, anybody can baptize. Um, it's not uncommon for just it happens on battlefields. So, you know, talk about baptism. Does somebody have to baptize with water? Just some kind of water works. Um, you know, I've heard of situations in the battlefield where somebody's dying. They're in the trenches. And the only thing that the person that this Christian, sometimes it's a chaplain or whatever, has is his own saliva. And he uses the spit of his mouth to baptize this individual in their last moments. And so um, it doesn't matter how much water you have or what you that you use. Um, it does, and it doesn't matter if it's a pastor, a chaplain, um, a lay person. Anybody could do baptism, but it's preferable to do the past have the pastor. And the reason is is because the pastor is the spiritual father or overseer of every of the members of his flock. And so, in other words, the, when he baptizes. If it's the past, your pastor, he's the one that is charged with overseeing the spiritual welfare of you, the parent, as well as the child. And so that's why it's good under normal circumstances. But if there's a life and death situation, it's perfectly okay um, to have be baptized by a layperson, by a non-pastor. So anyway, so it says, so for baptism, wash me pure with Christ's blood. And like I said, it's not a one-day thing. It is a lifelong thing. This is why Luther makes the recommendation. And we'll talk about this again when we get to the in a later video. Um, but he talks about at the beginning of every day to make the sign of the cross, saying in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. It's a reminder that you are baptized into Christ. And we start our worship services like this. It's a reminder that you are baptized into Christ. And it's a present thing. Your baptism wasn't a one-time event. It's an ongoing thing. So for baptism is a bath that washed me not only once when I received it. For baptism washed me pure with Christ's blood. But it can, and it continuously washes me clean, even daily for as long as I hold it in faith. For just as that same water of the flood drowned the sinners, but Noah with his relatives were brought to salvation and carried to Mount Ararat, so also did the water of my baptism drown my sins. But my soul was brought to the eternal mountain of divine grace. And just as once those same waves of the Red Sea, which swallowed up Pharaoh and his army, were a protective wall for Israel, so also has my baptismal water swallowed up all of my damnation and is for me a sure wall before God's wrath and punishment. And then this is where it gets cool. Actually, it's pretty cool already, but here it keeps getting cooler. Now then, all of you who believe in God's word, let this be a watch word for entering the new year. I am baptized. Although the world may laugh at this comfort, the enthusiast vex its confidence, nevertheless abandon any other dearly held pledges and speak only throughout the entire year to come in all terrors of conscience and necessity through sin and death, I am baptized. I am baptized. Hallelujah. 
and you shall prevail in every time of need. You will find comfort in your baptism. On account of it, Satan will flee from your faith and confession, and in death you will see heaven open, and will finally come into the joy of your Lord to celebrate with a great joy of jubilee a year of praise with all the angels forever and ever. Amen. That is a cool, that is a cool quote out of the Treasury of Daily Prayer, which is a daily devotional. But yeah, so as I was saying, going back to the Toy Story illustration, when you look at yourself, hat or no hat, you are Andy's toy. That's the words to Woody. To you, no matter how grievous your sin, no matter what is wearing you down, no matter what the world is doing to you, I am baptized. I am baptized. Hallelujah. So if you're watching the so continue with this Toy Story illustration and continue with this whole thing of you know what about people who walk away from the faith in Toy Story later in the movie you have this moment where Woody's foot gets painted over and he begins to embrace his life as being on display and being a model so to speak and people worshiping and adoring him this is what happens a lot of times. People will abandon the faith for atheism or agnosticism or basically self-worship as what Woody did. But when the church comes and they preach, in this case as Buzz Lightyear came and preached the gospel of Andy to Woody, Woody wiped away the paint and he saw that even though he rejected his owner, his owner hadn't rejected him. And he embraced, and, and so he returned to Andy. And so he came back to that faith. So also in baptism, you receive the name of, the, of God on you, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A person might reject it. And they may choose to worship another God. They may choose to worship themselves. They may choose to be an atheist, agnostic, whatever. They reject their owner. They reject their Lord and Savior. But it may be very well that someone from the church, their personal, whoever, the Buzz Lightyear of their church may come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And by hearing that gospel, they remember their baptism. And remember that they still be they belong to God, just as Woody belonged. Remembered from the Gospel of Andy that he belonged to, that he belonged to Andy. Well, here's Andy's tour. So, one final verse is on baptism is taken from Galatians chapter three. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, he doesn't say, For some of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. He says, As many. So which means when you are baptized, you receive a new righteousness. You are clothed in Christ. And where this finds its full fulfillment... See, there's actually... so. An old ancient tradition in the church was for people, when they're baptized, they receive a white garment. This was symbolizing what happened in baptism. Their sinful nature, the sinful nature that you were born in, is lifted off of you and placed on Christ. And he who knew no sin become, became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. So your sin is lifted off of you and put back to that day on April 3rd, 33 AD. It's placed on Jesus, and he is crucified with your sin. And in exchange of your filthy, wretched righteousness, your filthiness, you receive his righteousness. You are clothed in him. And where this is fully realized is in Revelation 7. It says, 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So coming, this means it's ongoing. So this is some, what you read in Revelation 7 right here, this is something that's ongoing. This scene, if we were to get the vision of John, we'd see the exact same thing, except for there'd be a lot more people. And the great tribulation, not some significant event, it's life. Life, the sin-fallen world is the great tribulation. So these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These robes that were made white in the blood of the Lamb, where they received it in baptism. All of as many of you who were baptized into Jesus have put on Christ, or have been clothed in Christ. That's why pastors wear white robes. It's to symbolize what happened in baptism. It's to, it's to point you forward. To the event that's coming, you're going to be wearing a white robe. The pastor is is the only one that's wearing it as a symbol of what is waiting for you. It's why we have kids wear it on confirmation, because in confirmation, you are confirming your baptism. You're confirming that you have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. You've been clothed with Christ. So that when you stand before God, on that last day, you stand when he is, you stand in judgment. He sees only Jesus. He sees his righteousness. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son's perfection. So there we go. That's what we have on baptism. The next video tomorrow, the next video will be on confession and absolution. Um, I pray this continues to be a blessing to you. Amen.